Ladies and gentlemen, Bradley Dax and Marlon Pax, welcome to Worldy. Ladies and gents, welcome to episode 32 of the Worldy Podcast. Joining me as always is Mr. Andy Roberts. Hello, hello, how are we doing? I'm doing all right. Well, another week, another pair of defeats. Yeah, a bit, uh, for bit shit, really. Not, mass- not ideal. Yeah, not unexpected though, these defeats particularly, though, were they really? No, that is true. It was, a, it was a classic FA Cup situation where you're so keen for league results that the FA Cup does come as a distraction, uh, and although it's nice to get somewhere, when you're not playing very well, it's less interesting, isn't it? It is. I mean, I think, yeah, it is it's very much less interesting. I remember our Man City game in the um, in the Carabao Cup um, earlier on in the season, which is when we, we were doing particularly badly in the league at that point. And and I couldn't get up or up for or excited about that game because I was so down about the team and everything like that. And then this game coming on the back of three de- three league defeats, um, particularly the dreadful one away three nil away at um, Plymouth on New Year's Day. That 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 this this game wasn't quite as exciting. Um, there, there was one saving grace for us from Oxford's perspective in that it was it was an away game that was relatively local in Brentford. It was quite easy to get to, so we sold the away end out. Like sixteen hundred people went to it, That's so that impressive. that helps helps a little bit. But you know, but other, other than that, it is quite difficult to get up for it. And I think most people are just thinking, you know, now we are in such an a, a, urgent situation that the league ultimately is priority now and it's, it's a shame to have to think like that because um, I love the cup competitions but but that's where we are so that's four losses in a row now it is yeah and and again I don't we... think we can count that one though I mean you sure, know sure. it is a big I mean I know Brentford are struggling a little bit but it is against championship opposition um but but nevertheless, I mean, I guess you know, harsh light of day. That is that is the case. That is what the reports will all say. So yeah. So is it is it reverted? Are things reverted back to where they were with uh, with with Carl Robinson and the team? I mean, because that spell was was I would have thought enough to kind of turn the tide a little bit. But from what you said on the last podcast, it's almost like that was the anomaly, and now we're back to what what you were kind of expecting. I think it's very difficult to assess that at the moment. Um, you know, we we went through that long spell of we went through a long spell of undefeated games. Um, although, you know, as we said in the last one, um, after a couple of defeats, you suddenly look at the stats from a different perspective, and you know, you stop looking at how long we went undefeated. You start looking at how few points we gained during that spell yeah. and stuff. So, um, you know, it's. It's difficult to know whether or not we've slipped back to what is our kind of standard position. I, I actually think we're just we're in a very different position. We are a different team. We're a different uh, space mentally and physically as we were at the start of the season. So I think a lot of a lot of the the downturn in form is is partly um, to do with just tired bodies because um, 
like it or not, you know, we have been playing the same first 11 for however long. Um, we've been playing that with players who, who shouldn't be playing 90 minutes of football every week. Um, and, and I'm actually parroting um, Carl Robinson a little bit here. Um, uh, he, first, I think. Uh, yeah. But the trouble is, is he's saying, you know, oh, it's hard luck that we were in this position. Whereas I actually say that, that you know, there's a, there's, there's a fairly high degree of responsibility upon him and the club. Uh, that we're in that situation. So, so whilst I agree with him, it, it, it has been a cause of the issues. I kind of disagree with him that it's just down to bad luck. And we also have to look, as we went through on a previous podcast, the number of injuries that we actually have. And it's only really five people who you would call, you would term first teamers who are out injured. Um, and a lot of those play in similar positions. So it does mean that we've had a, a lack of backup in certain positions. But at the same time, you know, we're looking, we're just looking at, you know, really just a handful of players who are out injured. And that, and that just demonstrates how, how little depth we've actually got in our squad at the moment. Which again, is, is down to, whether it's down to Carl Robinson or whether it's down to the board and the chairman about the recruitment over the summer, who to whoever takes full responsibility over that over the summer, um, that is a position we're in. Um, I, I, I suspect there's a share of blame on between the manager and between the, the ownership of the club about the, the, the shoddy recruitment that we did over the summer. And we can only hope now that what we do in January, they've learned from the mistakes that happened over the summer and they, they're able to fix that. Um, but, you know, it's going to be this January is never a good time to recruit. And we're doing that with a club um, who are currently in the relegation zone in League One. And we're not we don't look like a particularly enticing prospect of a club to join, to be perfectly honest. How I'm so, I've been so positive all season. I've been trying to be as positive as possible for the whole season. Now the new year is tipped, and you look at the number of games that have been played. I think in the championship we're exactly halfway, maybe twenty three games. Yeah, we're over halfway um, now. So yeah, you now I'm worried. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now now I'm starting to get to the point where it's like, well, I realise that I realise that sixty something points are available. You know. Yeah, uh, for the rest of the season, but how many of those points are, are we capable of, of getting, um, and how many do we need? I looked at I looked at the uh, situation for Reading last year, where we just survived relegation, and we survived by I think three clear points in the end from the relegation zone. We ended up a couple of places above it, um, and I think we had ten wins and eight draws to get us there. Yeah, however many defeats go on go on to that. Um, and I and, and now you're thinking right. Well, we've got four wins, so we need another six. Uh, and and we've got eight draws or whatever it is, so we need another six of those as well. And where are they going to come from? And you start to look through the fixture list, and you think, shit, this is a serious situation. Yeah, um, where yeah. I, it, it's hard to it, it's hard to start mapping out exactly where you're going to get those results unless something major changes. And, and, and to be honest with you, that's the position that Oxford are currently in, and that we're really ultimately just hoping something is going to change. Um, and, you know, back in September, we were saying, well, it's a dreadful start, but let's see where we are after Christmas. Now we're after Christmas, and we're broadly in the same place. Okay, we're not bottom, we're third from bottom, but nevertheless, we're broadly in the same kind of trouble. Um, we're now, you now, you now look for something to change when you say, well, here's the January transfer window, so maybe things will change then. And, and you know, you 
you you go through the the, the the season looking at where's where's the point where you say enough is enough um you know we, we've now tipped over this is a classic thing that i always used to say it's like when does a bad start to the season become a bad season well we have now tipped well into the fact that this is a bad season regardless of what happens between now and in and, and the end of april um but it's it's when when do you actually ask those questions about when do you make a change? Now January you will try and make some changes. If we don't do what we want to do or what we need to do in January, when when do you when do you pull that emergency cord to say to say stop? Um, and a lot of this really then now depends on on personalities at a board level. It depends on personalities and and what is most important to them. And 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 it's it's. It's really difficult, like that. You know, this, this it's a fairly new situation for Tiger to be running a club on his own like this. Um, and you know, I don't know much about him as a person. He seems like a like a like a positive and upbeat person. But how much will his pride about the man that he's appointed um, hold? You know, hold him back from making a decision yeah. to to fire that man if it becomes if it becomes necessary. You know, obviously many people believe that it is necessary now. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm erring on that side of things rather than on yeah, on the sure. other side of things. But but at the same time, you know, we are here now in January. Um, you either sack him today and appoint a manager tomorrow, and then you rebuild in January, or you give Carl Robinson the whole of January. So so we are now in a position where we basically have to give him the whole of January and the transfer window to see what he can do. That's um, difficult, isn't it? I, I... Given that Reading have now made that change, so assuming that the big change has, has happened, and it has, you know, yeah, um, you then realise that it's not just the change, it's the time around the change as well. Because, yes, a new manager comes in, new board comes in, uh, but there's a period of many, many weeks around that bit while everything settles and while those guys start to take effect and have an impact. And we're already a few weeks into that, and... and the team has changed a lot, like the the attitude and the um, and and the application of the team on the pitch has changed, and the style has changed, which is great because there's a visible showing. You know, you can turn up to the match and see that things are very different. Yeah. But when we played Swansea the other day and got beaten at home four one with the new manager, with the new board, with everything else, you've realised that there's other shit going on as well. That's a big problem. The, that game was was awful. Like we. We totally capitulated um, and we didn't put into practice all the stuff that we had seen at QPR and that we saw at Man United yesterday. Uh, we, we put nothing into place. The team fell apart and it was pretty, pretty bad. The good thing was that the manager came out afterwards and said exactly the right things. One thing I really like about this about the new manager, manager Jose Gomez, is that he's, he's very astute. He sees what's going on and he says it. You know, he doesn't hide behind any bullshit. He just goes straight to the point. Yeah. Uh, I guess. I guess the question is: He okay? So he's able to identify the problem, but the question now is: Is he then capable of fixing yeah, those absolutely. problems? Well, that's that is that is the big question. I mean, he came out after that and, and said, "There's something wrong here. We played so well at QPR. The players played with with great confidence, uh, and then we came home and we had no confidence." And the players are, are afraid of the crowd. They're not realizing that the crowd are trying to help rather than hinder them. Um, but when you concede after one minute. You know, expect the crowd to be on your back, perhaps. You know, the um, um yeah, and and, and uh, go on. It's 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 going to be uh, it's going to be really tough to ch- to turn that around. Sadly, I can't go to the games. So I'm away next Saturday, but the, the next home game is against Nottingham Forest, and you you start to stack up these games, and you think, shit, where are we going to get an easy home win from? 
uh, and it never seems to appear. Well, and you know what? When you're at bottom of the table, nothing looks like an easy win anymore. You know, like no. it, every every even even the teams around you suddenly look like they're daunting. Not only are they not only are they, they they should be the easier games, but you're looking at them and psychology comes into effect there. When you start thinking, we need to get more. It's more important to get something out of these games. A because they're more winnable, but B because you know they become six pointers and yeah. and you that I mean and, and and that will enter the players' heads. You know and and and. and the, the job of a new manager and, and this is a trouble when you get a new manager sometimes you get new manager syndrome and they and, and things just turn around uh, like Manchester United are seeing um, a lot of that is to do with maybe toxicity from a previous manager which I don't think Reading have had uh, with Clement um, so so it's then 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 the question for Reading is well why why is this the case? Maybe just your players just are not good enough for that division well, you know I mean they look yeah, like that's... there's a lot of talent on the pitch but that yeah. is a good question. That's what I wanted to talk about. Like while we're at the start of the January transfer window, then is what's what's looking likely on the table uh, for January for for both clubs, and what can we do, and, and where where do we see it going? I can start with with Reading if you want. Um, yeah, start with Reading because because I want to do it slightly different with Oxford because there's there's a there's a, a slightly bigger picture to to tell with, with with Oxford. There's there's a lot to talk about of stuff that's happened over the last couple of weeks. Some of it's related to January transfer stuff. Some of it isn't, but um, but it's worth picking through some of that because that is setting the scene for January. But but if you if you talk yeah. about Reading first, so I think the thing the thing that's going to be happening here is that there's uh, there's an acknowledgement that the squad is too big to start with yeah and it's one thing that, that Gomez said which is interesting he said we're never going to get a, we're never going to get a team atmosphere a team cohesion when there's so many players and nobody knows if they're playing or not or even if they're part of the first team or not okay which I thought was interesting because it shows that he wants to run a he wants to have a first team you know he wants to have a team that really feels together and we are the team and then there's a group of players around that that are vying for a place which i think is a good way to yeah to do it and i think he wants those players around the edge to be more like the under 23s than a series of of, of highly paid professionals you know that are just sitting on the bench they're just sitting on the bench thinking like i have no idea what part of this i'm actually playing in this whole thing and then yeah, they're probably exactly. looking elsewhere to think well i could be i could be part of that team you know is a is a is a major player but actually there's just all of this kind of this is there's like fl- too much fluidity between the squad the playing squad and the non-playing squad i guess yeah exactly and, and you re- you get to a point where you've signed all these players over a period of years with maybe different managers whatever and you've spent a lot of money on players that aren't even anywhere near the first team. It's not that they're on the bench and like every so often getting a game. They're not even they're not even anywhere near it. And and so then they've really got to be very very harsh. And even with players that have come in fairly recently, I think they've got to get rid of them. Uh, and luckily, we have some players that 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 may be desirable to other clubs. Um, so there's a few players that I think need to go. And there's a bunch of new players that we bought last season that Clement that Clement brought in over the summer. Um, that are not good enough, clearly, and are not going to fit the style of play that we have. So I'm thinking of the two strikers that we bought, uh, Baldock and McNulty, neither of whom can really get going in the team and maybe are a style of striker that's a little bit niche for the situation we find ourselves in. Um, 
that maybe we need somebody that's a slightly more traditional player because when if we're going to play with one player up top, which is seems likely, that player needs to be capable of doing a number of different jobs, not just one. Yeah. You know? So I think we we need to roll several strikers into one striker that's going to be able to do a job week in, week out for us with a number of different tasks. I think David Myler, who we talked about before, is a bit of a weird situation with David Myler. He was a player that I really thought was going to come in and be a midfield general kind of character, uh, which is a character we so sorely need, but he just hasn't been able to do it. I wonder if he's passed his best or, or there's something going on there. But he, I think... If he's not going to be able to get into the squad, let alone the first team, I really don't see what he's doing there. Because he's obviously a fairly seasoned professional that's on a good wage. Um, and I think probably his time, has, his time has come as well. There's a couple of players that are looking like they want to leave. Some players that have risen up over the last over the last 18 months and who see an opportunity to play for a bigger club. Sadly, that's two centre-backs. So it's probably Thiago Elori, who's angling for a move to Sporting Lisbon. And... Um, uh, Liam Moore, who was almost sold uh, in the summer for quite a significant amount of money, uh, and is still looking to move on. I think he sees that you know this is going to be a very tough season, and maybe he doesn't have the uh, he doesn't have the interest to be part of it anymore, which is a shame. Uh, but he's one that because he's young and he's a talented player, put on a great performance against Man United yesterday. Um, we could maybe get a decent amount of money for that's going to fund some other some other bits and bobs. So I think that's the, that's the situation. The other major, the other major purchase that I see coming. These some of these may come through loan signings. Um, is a goalkeeper who is capable of playing the ball from the back. Yeah, it's obviously a key part of how Gomez wants to play. Uh, and right now, Yarkolo is just an absolute liability with the ball. He his brain, you can see it happening on the pitch. His brain gets frazzled when he makes a bad pass or something. And then he just gets into a horrible loop. I watched. Uh, we watched. We watched the um, the Man U game on the telly in the pub before the Brentford game. Oh, okay. um, and there was this this one comedy moment where one of your defenders played the ball back to him, and he did this really weird thing where he was kind of down on one knee. The oh keeper, yeah, he couldn't pick it up, he, but he sort of need it. Yeah, it was the strangest <laughs> clearance I've ever seen. It just looked like a catastrophe waiting to happen. He just really couldn't crazy. seem to deal with the idea of a ball coming back to him in a short space of time. I mean, he was put under pressure. Don't get me wrong, but it was just it was all a bit, little bit kind of comical it's not his forte you no. know and i think he's been put into a into a situation where all of a sudden the manager is asking so much of him that he's not comfortable with yeah um, and it was very interesting i didn't notice it but one of the guys i was at the match with um, at old trafford yesterday saw that just after the final whistle and we had a very good performance yesterday actually it was really really good and there was a lot of positive stake from it despite losing um, but he walked straight off the pitch down the tunnel after the uh, after the final whistle. And I wonder if he knows that that something's going on with the goalkeeping position. You know, yeah, that that sounds like a man who who he wants his way out because you know he could have who was playing in goal for Man U was it De Gea because he could have been going off and getting De Gea's shirt or whatever. Exactly. So that, yeah. that is a guy who's not in a happy place, isn't it? Yeah, it's it is a tough one. I feel bad for him because he's a decent he's a decent goalkeeper and he has he, he has stepped up uh, and, and put in some decent performances for us. But I think when a new manager comes in, things change quite quickly, you know. And yeah. if he's not if he just doesn't have it in his locker, then there's no future. I think we saw the same thing at, at Manchester City, didn't we? Where 
uh, Guardiola came in and a, a collection of goalkeepers at the club just weren't going to do what he wanted them to do. Yeah. It's, it's always it's always a funny situation, the goalkeeper thing, because if you've got a manager, some managers don't just, just don't get goalkeepers. I, rem- I remember when Michael Appleton um, was at Oxford, because like, in the um, promotion season, we had bad goalkeepers. Um, and... And, and I just thought, maybe this is Michael Appleton's weakness. He's just not good at identifying good goalkeepers. You know, sometimes managers, some managers just always end up with really bad goalkeepers. Um, but then, but then Michael Appleton signed Simon Eastwood, um, who's, who's fucking amazing. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. like, so, so, but, but you're right. It's, it is, I think there's, it's, it, between, for managers, it's often about character of of the goalkeeper and also it depend depending on how you play you you potentially need very very different styles of goalkeeper and i think i think that kind of subtlety is quite often lost on 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 football fans about uh, on what you need your goalkeeper to do because it isn't just about keeping the ball out of the net you know there is yeah, so much exactly, more yeah. that they need to do and it's so important as well when you build when you build your style of play by playing from the back that is always the starting point. So if it starts badly, it's not going to get much better, you know. Yeah. So I think it, it, you end up you end up you end up with a um, a team who who press your defenders really high and they're in possession of the ball in you know like down by the the, the, the yeah. goal line um, and they're under pressure. You need a goalkeeper who can handle that shit. Who can who can with it might make things a little bit dicey from for the supporters, but you need yes. somebody who yeah. who can do a bit of footwork and can stay calm under pressure when there's somebody bearing down on him. Well, this is it, and I've been mentioning it a lot this season because I see this season as being the real season where the the general style of play in this country is changing, and you see so many more games at all levels, not just at the Premier League level, but at all levels where teams are playing out from their own touchline. They're literally having two uh, two centre-backs drop either side of the box and receive the ball within a yard of their own touchline. Yeah. Um, and I've, I, I don't remember ever watching football so regularly that looks like that. And now, with Gomez in charge at Reading, I'm seeing it week in, week out, you know, in the stadium. And it is, it's cool in a way because it's, it feels like, yes, we're, we're doing, you know, we're doing the thing that's happening now in the world of football, you know, we're, we're moving forward with the game, which is good. But like you said, it is also fucking terrifying watching yeah. that. Because you've seen these same players like fall over the ball before. Like, <laughs> they're being asked to play it out under extreme pressure. And it's like, oh my God. Look, I mean, that, that's, that was one of the problems that we had under Pep Clotet. Like he was playing... Uh, he was playing a game of football where we 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 were we built from the back. Um, we were asking an awful lot of our midfielders because they were receiving the ball under pressure in our own half. Um, and this is one of the big problems that I I think. Do you know what? I think this is the only problem that Pep, Pep Clotet had is he was expecting those players to do more than they're capable of doing at this level. Um, and and so we gave away the ball. In our own half, in midfield, so many times, which is why we conceded so many goals. It's what made our defence look so bad, is because they were put under, you know, unfair pressure. They were exposed too often, and that was because we were playing the ball out through through the midfield, and we were, we were asking, ju- just just as we're talking about your know, goalkeeper at the moment, it's similar with our our midfielders. They were they were not the kind of players who can under pressure you know, ticket tack of the ball around um yeah. to find a way through. And so we were giving the ball away so much in that. So it's it's a nice game of football to play when you've got the personnel to do it, but fucking hell you need the right people. You really yes. do. Yeah. Well I think I think that goalkeeper is gonna be is gonna be a really interesting one. 
there's rumours that Fraser Forster is available. The he has actually played for England in the past. I don't know if yeah, you know yeah. Fraser, he big, big, giant, massive uh, goalkeeper came from uh, Rangers. I think yeah. originally uh, would be a great presence. He's a giant, big, huge guy. Uh, but whether he's capable of playing that type of football, I don't know. Is it, for me, the Fraser Forster rumour sounds like one of those rumours that simply because he hasn't been playing for a while, he's available. Yeah, people are talking about it. the The other rumour that I've heard, which seems more likely because just of the connections there, uh, there is a young goalkeeper at Manchester United called Pereira, who is a Portuguese goalkeeper of the European style. You know, who I'm sure that Gomez is aware of. Uh, and he's being linked as well on a loan deal, so that 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 for me seems a bit more likely. More likely um, is is a youngster in that situation. What you need when you're battling to get out of relegation, I don't know. Um, no, I don't know either. I my personal feeling is that I like Fraser Force, but maybe that's just because I'm thinking from the old fashioned English mentality. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and and actually, maybe style is more important than solidity. I don't know. Um, I, I'm not a football manager. I think you know that's what. <laughs> yeah, I I really don't know. And it's when you get into these situations where. You you think there's a merry-go-round of players that just go round and round and round, and how much of it is really like is really thought about to the level of of what is the what is the guy like on the pitch? What is his style of play? What is his character? What is he yeah. like as a person? What issues does he have as an individual? Um, and how much of it is just who the fuck is available? Who can we afford and who wants to come and play for our club? Yeah, and and do you know what? And it, this this is an interesting question that, that that I've sort of had in conversations, and I've seen I actually haven't seen other Oxford uh, fans talk about this as well. Is that what when, when you're in this position, the position that we're in, position that Reading are also in? Do you look at the January transfer window and say right? You know, we're we're still doing a project here. We've got new people in at the club. We're 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 rebuilding. We're starting from the ground up. We're rebuilding. We I mean, we've just got our under twenty threes kind of set up and all of that. And 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 this is a long term project. We build for the future. Um, and I'll and I'll touch on this, but we brought a, a lad called Mark Sykes in um, as part of that process. Um, and and but so so do you do that? And you continue, you you unwaveringly, you stick about your task, and you carry on down that path in in trust in the ultimately the long term outcomes will come good, um, or do you in this position um, go actually? Do you know what we are now in an emergency situation? Let it let's let's pause the project in inverted commas uh, for six months. Get ourselves out of this hole. Let's just get a bunch of temporary players in to dig us out of the hole. It's the Sam Allardyce thing. Do we just yeah. quickly get in Sam Allardyce to pull yourself out of a hole and then sack him once he's kept you up? Do you do that with your players? Do you get those kind of players in um, to 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 save you and then you continue building? And and there may be a balance between the, 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 doing those two jobs. You might be able to do both at the same time, but... Um, it, that those are the big decisions um, that people like like that like Carl Robinson um, and, and Gomez now have have to make, and like that is a, that's a fucking difficult decision because I don't know because because you you could ca- you could categorize the idea of suddenly changing and getting emergency players in to dig you out of a hole as shitting your pants and getting in a flap and and not having the courage of your convictions. That's or, often when you end up paying more than you should as well for people. It is, but sometimes maybe that overpayment is 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 worth worth it. I don't I don't know. So you could categorize it as that, or you could categorize the steadfast let's 
keep our heads down, carry on with a long-term project, is burying your head in the sand. Like, all of these things can, like, depending on the, the viewpoint of the person who's observing it, can be yeah. categorised as so many different things, and it's it's, it's almost impossible to choose. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't envy the position um, that, that, that either of our managers are in, particularly in this situation. Admittedly, our existing manager is partly to blame for our situation, um, but... You know, it's 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 fucking difficult, and I and I, I I don't know what the best option is. My 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 gut feeling for Oxford is let's just let's pause the the big long term project for six months, dig ourselves out of a hole, and then carry on. That's my gut feeling. So, what do you see happening in Oxford in January? Um, we, I mean, this, the problem is, is that we're in a, almost like a rebuilding phase at the moment. I mean, we've you know we've we've got big problems. Okay, so look, I'm going to start. I've, I've got a list of players that I want to talk about, and I'll hopefully tell a bit of the story. So, first one is Curtis Nelson. Now, Curtis Nelson is is our best defender. Um, he's a centre half. He was our captain until part of the way through this season. Um, he's he is he's a really good footballer. He's a really good defender. He's a solid pro. He has a really good head about him. He sticks to his task. He was stripped of the captaincy earlier on in this season, um, basically because he um, wasn't committing his long-term future to the club. He hadn't signed another contract. No idea what the, the details of the contract negotiations with Carl Robinson were. So none, none of us can actually say whether or not it's justifiable for Curtis Nelson to have refused to sign a contract. Sure. Um we don't really know the reasons. It might be that what was being put on the table in front of him was derogatory. It might be that um, he just can't stand the manager. It might just be that actually he fancies a new challenge. It might even be that he's, you know, he's unprofessional and he's just had enough and he just wants to run away from his problems. We just don't know. Nobody knows that. Lots of people are drawing their own conclusions. Nobody knows that. This all came to a head after the Plymouth game because... Um, Curtis Nelson has had two clubs as a professional, Plymouth Argyle, where he was their captain, um, and Oxford United. Um, and we lost 3-0 to Plymouth. So obviously very hard, very tough, difficult game. He Curtis Nelson was then thrust out to do the post-match interviews. Um, long story short, it turns out that um, Chris Williams, who's the, um, he's the communications uh, manager, basically, at Oxford United had suggested Curtis Nelson as the person to go out for the interview. Um, having, having After the interview went badly, which I'll explain in a moment, Chris Williams subsequently apologised for it. Um, <laughs> but but it, the thing is, it, with, with hindsight, it was a bad decision. But at the same time, the reason he chose him to go out for this interview was because he's a steady pro, he he under difficult circumstances he is a safe pair of hands for a post-match interview yeah, sure. to be able to deal with those kind of difficulties um what the the problem was is they missed the fact that that obviously he's got he's obviously going through contract either contract negotiations or he's having discussions with other clubs at the moment which is probably likely um and he comes out for the post-match interview it was a difficult interview uh, and then nathan cooper from the bbc um you know no 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 problem with him doing this but he then asked him i think curtis nelson actually that's his thing is curtis nelson curtis nelson said that a, he wasn't going to do a live interview. He wanted the Radio Oxford to pre-record it. And also he said he um, wasn't going to answer questions about his contract position. Right. Um, so they pre-recorded it. And then Nathan then asked him about his contract oh, position. Um, which, you know, it's, it's difficult because, I mean, like, like I think, I think 
fans have a right to to, to he you know the the, the the media have a right to ask that question sure. um and i don't think he should be able to shy away from that and and also there are very simple ways to answer that question as which he subsequently did in a follow-up interview he did with the club where you just turn around and say look i can't talk about any of that stuff right now look for now i'm an oxygen united player i'm committed to the club blah 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 blah, blah. all that bullshit right yeah. um but he was obviously really kind of emotional after the defeat, um, and it was difficult. So he basically, like I said, refused to do a um, a live interview. And then when he asked that question, he was asked that question. He said, "I'm not ask, 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 answering that," and just kind of just kind of went off in a bit of a huff, basically. Um, and so he's taken a shitload of flack from Oxford fans on social media, um, who had said, "Oh, fucking gay! He should never play for the club again." What a, you know it was absolutely disgraceful and blah blah blah. It's like, well. You know, look, looking at it from another perspective, Curtis Nelson had, was stripped of the captaincy uh, earlier on in the thing, and yet continued to go on and put in excellent performances. Yeah. Um, he is, he is. I don't care what anybody says. He is an exceptionally good professional um, in in terms of the game. Um, he got that interview wrong. There's no doubt about it. Under under the pressure, under the difficult circumstances, whatever, he got that interview badly wrong. Um, he probably didn't ought to have been put in that position, but he was, and he didn't handle it very well. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater here. This is this is still our best defender by distance. I would, you know, it, we we let's just not vilify people for yes, for, for yeah, being quite. humans. Um, the um. The difficulty is, is that is that he's either going now in January, and we might get a small fee for him, or his contract runs down and we lose him in the summer for free. Um, not neither is a good position for us to be in. Um, but I'll be perfectly honest with you. Right at the moment, I would rather we had him for the rest of the season, and his contract runs down and we lose him for free. It's it's not a great situation to be in. Um, is is a club? It's not a sustainable way for a club to work. But at the same time, you know. We we are pretty short on centre backs, and he is our best centre back. It's him, him and Rob Dickey, um, like without either of those, and they both had they both had issues in the last couple of the last couple of games, the last three games. They both had difficult times, um, but you know, if we if we lose Curtis Nelson, we are we are in some serious trouble, and we really really need to bring in at least two centre halves in January. So that's that's a really big problem. Um, so not only are we in a position where we need to from from a level playing field from where we started, we need to build. We're also having to deal with the fact that we're losing good players. So we're having to replace the good players <laughs> that we're losing, and we also then have to build on top of that. So it is a fucking massive job. So the next the next person I wanted to talk about was Jordan Graham. So we spoke about him before. Jordan Graham came in. Um, he is now on loan with us from Wolves until the end of the season. Um, and obviously I talked about the issues that we have with Jordan Graham being a player who has played, I think, 11 games in the last two two years. Um, he was excellent in the short spell he was with us. But because of serious injuries, he's basically played zero football. Um, and... You know, we've got enough problems with our attacking wing players being injured a lot of the time that, that we're, we're bringing in somebody else who is potentially, you know, potentially potentially an injury risk. Um, and also it's going to take him some time to get up to speed, which 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 what we were saying weeks and weeks and weeks ago. Um, and then sure enough, uh, yesterday at the Brentford game, he had a bad game. 
you know, he just looked like a guy who was rusty, who hasn't played any competitive football for yeah. two years, um, or, or very little competitive football for two years. He he really struggled. He did. He, he wasn't helped by the strange formation that Carl Robinson put out. He had um, Marcus Brown just inside him, so you had two wingers out on the left hand side. So Marcus Brown naturally okay, was yeah. kind of running out to the to the out wide and that was pushing Jordan Graham right up on the fucking touchline for the entire game. So it was it was a difficult circumstances for him to come in. Um he didn't have a great game, but that's not his fault. It just absolutely isn't his fault. Um because it's going to take him a long time to get up to some kind of speed again because he's been out of football for fucking ages. Yeah. So, you know, the the you know, I mean, I, I hope I'm wrong, and I'm hope that he's got the quality that actually suddenly just turns shit round and, and has a blinder. Um, so that's one guy we have brought in, but there's, a, there's there are lots of question marks hanging over him as to whether how much of a contribution he's going to be able to make. So another guy that we brought in is this lad called Mark Sykes. We brought him in from um, from Ireland. He came from Glenavon. He's a Northern Ireland. Um, I think he's uh, under 21 international so similar situation that, that we brought Gavin White over we brought this Mark Sykes guy up he's a creative midfielder creative central midfielder I believe okay. um, he's 21 years old um, he is he is somebody that we have brought in as a future player as a future part of our development he's an investment for the long term we've got him on a two and a half year contract um, that, that that's fine and it's great that we're making that kind of signing um, but there is an element of risk with him. Uh, everybody's expecting him to come in and be the next Gavin White, um, but it might take him longer. It might take him much longer to kind of settle. He might not even settle at this kind of level. We just don't know. It's too much of it. Too much of a gamble, really, for him to be, to, for us to be looking at him as a kind of a solution to our existing current problems. He might be, and he might have a fucking wonderful time. You know, who who knows? But. Um, so it's fine that we're making that kind of signing, but that can't be, you know, that can't be instead of making signings to strengthen us right now, you know. Um, so another situation we've got right now is that Shandon Baptiste coming back from a um, his shoulder surgery. So a really bad shoulder dislocation earlier on in the season. He was out for about three months. Um, he's... He, so he had his, his soldier shoulder basically pinned back in, back in, came on as a substitute today, uh, yesterday against Brentford. Um, I think it was about, about, about kind of half an hour to go in the game. He came in within 10 minutes of coming on. He landed badly on his leg, kind of jarred his knee, twisted his knee, and he went down in a complete heap and he had to be stretched off oh, within dear. 10 minutes, which is which is absolutely devastating um it's it's really bad luck for the club i mean it is really really bad luck um it's fucking even worse for him and i feel so gutted for him this is a guy who last season was playing non-league football on loan and has come in and burst into the scene and suddenly made an instant impact for the club and looks like an absolutely incredible prospect um, to have one big injury right right at the point where he was about to burst onto the scene um, was was a cruel blow. For it to happen 10 minutes into his kind of comeback to get another completely different massive injury is is unbelievably bad luck um we don't we don't actually know what the extent of the injury is carl robinson was a bit a bit kind of emotional and he 
and I'll get onto this in a bit, in, but he said, oh, he's going to be out for up to a year. We don't know any of that. that I think that was just emotion, as an emotional kind of charged kind right, of yeah, okay. o- over-egging the pudding. We know he doesn't he, think before he speaks. Ex- exactly, and he's done that a thousand times with other people's injuries and stuff like that. He likes to over-egg these things. He likes the bit of drama and, and stuff. Um, but so that, so that for Baptiste is, 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 is terrible news. It's bad, even worse news for us because he, you know, even though he wouldn't have been or probably didn't ought to have been key part of Carl Robinson's plans at the t- start of the uh, the season nevertheless he was an unexpected bonus that has been cruelly ripped away from us so that's another issue that we then have to overcome is yeah. the fact that we would have been looking we would have been preparing for the rest of the season we would have been preparing that with Shandon Baptiste in our plans um, and so we now have to that's another piece of work we're likely to have to do in January which is that is hard that's really hard luck and that's that's that is unfair on everybody concerned um but shit that's football you have to kind yeah. of roll with these yeah. kind of punches um so um we so that's kind of that, that's kind of the movement or people in and out that we've that we've had so far. Um, we, we're also potentially looking at Ricky Holmes going back. We're we're waiting to hear back from Sheffield United for kind of long term scans and tests on his back to see whether or not he's going to be walking wounded for the rest of the season or whether we're actually likely to get any game time out of him because if we're not he has to go back because we can't spend all the money that we will likely be spending on his wages we should be doing that on somebody who's going to be playing every game or you know most games between now and the end of the season um so some question marks but i think this is probably just pessimism from oxford fans question marks about whether marcus brown is not going to be recalled by west ham and been pack packaged off on loan to a championship club or something like that I think that might be be a pessimism thing on the basis that people are worried that he's done so well that West Ham will look at this and go, he's not doing, he's not at a good enough club for us. We want him playing better football. Don't know. We don't know. There's nothing more than speculation there. Um, uh, we we've got. Um, We've also let um, Tony McMahon go out on loan uh, for the rest of the season. He's a fullback, but that's for family and kind of personal reasons. He's gone back up north. Um, so, so we're all re- we're losing players. Yeah. Um, we're in a position where we were on da- down to our bare bones and having to patch up, but we're losing players. Players are going out. Um, and and I and I kind of try to. I mean, I've not even mentioned the striking situation at the moment. In the fact that we have one striker, and that is um, Jamie Mackey, because obviously Sam Smith's gone back. Yeah. So we've got one striker who's fit to play. Um, and Jamie Mackey wasn't brought in to play ninety minutes of football every week because he's he's just not fit enough to do that. Do you not have options um, from the under twenty threes that can step up, or is there nobody? So yes, we do, but we've shipped them all out on loan. <laughs> right. um, so um, Harvey Bradbury is is almost a like for like for Jamie Mackey. Um, he's kind of quite a big lad, and he's like in a brash kind of chuck himself, check himself about the place. Um, Centre forward, he yeah. he had a great. I think it was against Gillingham. He came on and had a great time. Um, so so he looks like, but I mean, he did also look very very raw. Um, it's it it so it might be that he's just psychologically just not ready for, for first okay, team action. Yeah. It'd, be, it'd be wrong for us to speculate on that because we just don't know. But either way, we do have players like that, but they're all being shipped out on loan at the moment, and that's potentially to free up wages. Although Shanda, although Harvey Bradbury won't be on a he'll be on an entry level wage. He won't be on a he won't be on a big contract sure. or anything yeah. like that. So it's it's not like we're saving lots of money by by pushing him out on loan or anything like that um 
So the, it, the the short answer to that question, do we have any people that we can tap into in the end of 23? It's not really, no. We've got a couple of very, very young Raw players like Slavy Spazov and stuff like that um, who are... Um, Armani Little but he's actually gone back out on loan as well um, we've got a bunch of uh, young guys um, who we could tap into but again most of them are out on loan uh, a lad called Malachi Napper, who's a winger um, or a wide attacking player he's come back off loan from Macclesfield weirdly though the club didn't actually announce this um, Macclesfield explained that he's gone back to Oxford so we only heard it from Macclesfield not from the club which kind of leads me to believe that maybe they're, they're intending to then ship him back out on loan somewhere else um, I can, that could be the Sloan only reason why the is, is a little bit out of control um, for, for all clubs I think there, there's just a, there's just a constant network of, of players going out on loan ineffectual loans you know yeah, it's it's, it's um, really. It's, I don't think it's necessarily good for the game because players who were on loan never integrate with the club. It's not possible, right, for them to integrate with the club at the same level as when they play for it. And you've got players that go out on loan and come back halfway through. They only play a couple of games. They don't get in the squad at all. Like there's a lot of bad decisions. It seems that goes on around loans. There, there are. Although I, I would say that that loans played well. Um, and done well the right characters at the right clubs can often work out quite well so obviously we've spoken previously about George Bulldog Um, George Bulldog who uh, funny enough was recalled back to MK Dons by Carl Robinson um, even though he had actually apparently word has it that he'd had a gentleman's agreement with uh, Michael Appleton that he wouldn't be recalling him at any point throughout the season. He decided to recall him in January. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was he was a classic example of a lone player who did integrate really well. He became an enormous part of our team that year. He was he was absolutely magnificent. Uh, another example of this was um, the six months initial six months loan that we had from Kemar Roof. We couldn't have a podcast without me mentioning Kemar Roof. Um, <laughs> he, he, um, he came in on loan initially um and 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 got the mentality of michael appleton what he was trying to build he got it just right and he kind of and so also he ended up then you know signing signing a three-year contract i think it was so there, there are there are times it goes well um but at the same time, it's you don't want to over rely on it. You know, it's something that, you, that lower league teams can use to their advantage, but you don't want to rely on it. The, the, the issue, particularly with Malachi Napper, is quite interesting because Malachi Napper uh, played really well for Oxford against Charlton when Carl Robinson was the Charlton manager when we beat them three two. I think it was a last minute winner uh, at the Valley, which was fucking amazing. It's such a great day out that was. Um, uh, and so when Carl Robinson joined, he was like talking like ridiculous glowing terms about Malachi Napa, who then um, subsequently went straight on loan to Macclesfield. Um, he um, he has, I think, one of the problems with the Macclesfield loan for as well is obviously Sol Campbell's now manager there. Since Sol Campbell came in, Napa's not played much football. You know, that's always going to be difficult when a, the manager changes for a loan player. So that's one of the reasons I think he's come back. So don't know what's going to happen with him going forward, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, the one, one final thing I did want to talk about um, is Carl um, Robinson and his reaction after the, the Brentford game. So very quickly, the Brentford game... Um, I thought we did all right. First half, I think they 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 were clearly 
the uh, division above us in the first half. Um, they had most of the chances, um, most of the efforts on goal, even though they're only kind of half chances. They they were better than us, but we didn't disgrace ourselves. We were in the game, but they they were obviously just a bit better than us. Second half, I actually thought I thought we matched them more or less toe to toe. Second half. Um, so I was a bit gutted, to, or very gutted actually by the result. I thought we deserved at least a draw out of that, to be honest. But, um, but Carl Robinson, um, and this has been the big thing that people have been talking about. Carl Robinson in his post match interview, which I've not heard, um, but he was basically quite emotional because of the Chandon Baptiste injury, um, and he say basically said that I was, you know, I was on the side of the pitch in tears when you know Baptiste went down with, with that injury um, and it's interesting because lots of people have been reading a lot into this and saying oh he's too close to the players he's too emotional he's not you know he's not emotionally stable enough to be a manager and stuff like well that latter point about him not being emotionally stable enough to be around we, we were pointing that out I was pointing that out at the start of the season him him having empathy for a really 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 cruel injury um to a young player i i i, I don't think is the worst of his crimes in terms of his his kind of emotional instability his emotional instability has been there for all to see yeah. in terms of the way he's responded to pressure situations throwing players under the bus in his post match interviews yeah, and that's not just yeah, and, and and so so I I I have a little bit more sympathy for 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 Carl Robinson in this situation than maybe other people are doing. In in in, I'm I'm not surprised that he's having an emotional reaction here because he's an emotional manager. Yeah, sure. Like I said, and I said I've already we've already pointed out that's a weakness of his. Um, but so I, I I don't I don't I don't think that's like Carl Robinson's biggest crime um, having that kind of level of empathy for his players. Um, one of the suggestions is that he's too close to the players in that he can't be he can't step back and be kind of like you know the you know the, the he he's almost kind of like too matey with them. Yeah. There were some, some some suggestions that 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 he's matey with certain players, and therefore they don't feel like they're going to lose their place in the squad because they're Carl's buddies. Um, I, I'm I'm less worried about that, but if, but he does probably does have favourites. Um, but at the same time, you know. He's he's quick to turn on a player as Carl Robinson, so I'm not I'm not convinced that's that's the biggest issue. I think the 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 biggest issue is that he's just not he's just not he does not deal with difficult pressure situations well. And maybe his reaction to the Baptiste situation is just an, a, another evidence is more evidence of that. But it's not it's not a new thing. I don't think. Um, I don't know. It's it was it was a big blow for everybody. Um, I think I think. The, the the biggest question mark now is whether or not Carl Robinson can get over this because the last two post match interviews he sounded like a beaten and broken man and it's whether or not he has now been defeated by the entire situation. Um, I I fucking hope not because if he has he has to go immediately. Um, yeah, well, you'd have he, thought that the January transfer window would at least offer up the opportunity for him to to try and change a few things, you know. You would you would hope so, and 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 it and it is that opportunity. At the same time, you know he he might even be looking at it with such an uphill task that it's almost it's almost impossible. Things like he will have had plans about who he wants to bring in and all of this kind of stuff, yeah. um, and then the Baptiste injury happens, and then he's like, fuck. I've got another thing, and like it'd be very easy for somebody who isn't is kind of calm and clear thinking um, to 
to just look at that and go, I can't do this. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. throw in the towel. So that, that, that scene in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where the guy just like takes off his clothes, he rips up his money and walks into the sea because <laughs> he just can't yeah, fucking hack it yeah. anymore. Yeah. It would be very... In, in, and, I, and I worry that Carl Robinson is the kind of manager who, if things got too bad... It, it, it might just get too much for him and he is unable to think clearly and rationally about it yeah, um, because if we're in that situation so we're in a very very we're even worse we're even yeah. more fucked than we than I thought we were basically let's hope not let's hope that, that Baptiste injury is not quite as bad as uh, as all that yes fucking hope not we'll end on a slight positive here because um talk very briefly about the uh, the Reading game at Manchester United mainly because we did not embarrass ourselves which was my biggest concern yeah. especially after the Swansea game when we did embarrass ourselves that we would go yeah. and, and lose horribly the the opposite happened in fact we didn't win the game but I never expected us to beat Man United really um but we went we went to Old Trafford there were 70,000 fans there or something uh and that was a team that had Lukaku and Alexis Sanchez in it and Fred and all these like ridiculous top professionals. Um, and we, we had 60% of possession at the end of the game. Fucking hell. Uh, and we had more shots and uh, we had more passes. And we actually, we actually came out of that game looking really good. And afterwards, it was fantastic to look at the media reports and everyone saying, how are Reading at the bottom of the table? There's no way Reading should be at the bottom of the table. And I thought that was really good. That must be massive for the team's confidence. So even though we lost the game, a lot of positives to come out of that. And I think the guys must see if they can play like that against Manchester fucking United, yeah. they, they, they've got to be able to come back and play like that against Ipswich and Millwall and Brentford. You know? That's that's the big question, isn't it? And we and I remember Rosie, a uh, friend of the pod, saying this uh, uh, at the Man City game um, earlier on in the season. She said she said almost doesn't want us to win it because because it would be a fucking so frustrating if you can go off and play really really well um, and get a good positive result against that kind of team. What does that say about us as a football club and about our players if they can get up for that game but they can't get up for kind of Plymouth at home or yeah. whatever? Yeah. And and it's if they can get up for that, they can hopefully Reading can use that that kind of positive kind of experience as a springboard. But the the worry is is that they come down from the high of playing at Old Trafford, they go somewhere shit for their next game. Um, and can't get up for it, and then just oh shit, relegation fight. Oh, can't get up for it. So yeah. no, I th- I think you hope, you hope it's, not. It's not. It's not a matter of motivation. It's a matter of confidence. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, and I think possibly. they've got a big issue playing at home. So I think if we could get one big win at home and get the crowd behind us and start getting some more people into the stadium, I think we could. I think we could resolve it. But we need six or seven wins from somewhere. Yeah, they got to come from somewhere. Um, just to if, to, to, to kind of. Also, talk on this kind of positive note. Um, one of the good things about the the Brentford game is, you know, it wasn't that everybody was going to Brentford because we were, you know, like blind dazzled by the sparkling wonder of going to to Griffin Park. Partly because we were there two seasons ago um, yeah. and won four nil in the cup. So, um, but but we took sixteen hundred people there, and the atmosphere on terrace 
Um, because we had like it's like a two tier stand behind the goal, cool, and there's yeah. a terrace on the bottom side that's in seating up at the top, and, and the atmosphere on the terrace was fucking brilliant. Nice. It was absolutely brilliant, and there was like singing throughout the entire the entire game. It was it was it's a long time since we've seen that kind of like togetherness yeah, from the, from the fans. You, you you always get that with Oxford away from home more than at home because you get a lot because they get then get obviously spread out at home yeah, and then sure. you get the yeah. you get all the whingers yeah, and, and moaners coming to the home games and stuff. Yeah. But but nevertheless it was it was really good. It was a really good experience. It was a shame it had a shame we lost um, and obviously the shame we had the negative experience with the Baptiste thing but that that was a positive to take from it that that, that if the club is able to match it there is still heart and spirit and fight left in the supporters um, you just you just hope that that's, that's, that transfers onto the pitch for the players as well Right, there we go we go again one more week we, and hopefully yeah. some uh, results come in I just wanted one piece of uh, AOB, if yep. that's possible. Um, uh, this is uh, flagged up by a chap called uh, Fantastic Mister Ox on Twitter. Um, yep. he's, he's a good lad. He, um, he 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 spotted this thing on the EFL website. So the official football league website. Right. Um, there's a list of the play- the teams and their managers, um, and um, on the uh, on the roster there for for Reading FC. Rather than uh, Jose Gomez, it says Rio Ave or Rio Ave, which is the club that he <laughs> came <the> cl- from. <laughs> oh, that is bad. So and that's Rio really Ave's bad. That is how, bad. How 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 does that happen? <laughs> like, I, I mean, that is that is that is an absolute shambles. That it is really shocking, is. isn't it? They need to have a word with themselves there, bloody hell. Well, but that is the EFL all over, isn't it? Yeah, Virtual they might not know who his name is, but God damn it, he's going to keep us in the championship. <laughs> Let's hope so. Actually, no. Actually, no. I don't hope that anyway. I hope you get relegated because I want to play you next season. So, look. Let's hope we all. Let's hope we all stay where we are for now. Right. Okay. I'll let you have that. Swindon can get relegated if they want. Yeah, I'm happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> right then, and on that note, uh, we'll call it a day. Thank you very much, Andy. Thanks once again. Uh, yeah, thank you very much, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> nice one. And uh, we'll see you all next week on World Eat.